so we all have to record on Audacity. Yeah, I'm on there now. You don't have to, but it would be nice. Well, you told us we had to. I love to. I didn't say we have to. I personally love Audacity so much. <laughs> I'm going to shill for them. <laughs> they should be a sponsor of the show. Mm. Yes. Yeah, this free software should sponsor <laughs> the show. Yeah, I mean, they won't cost them very much. That's how much money Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty harmless sponsor in the, in the realm of who could be sponsoring it. Yeah. Yeah. We could be sponsored by, like, say no to prop whatever is going to right, screw yeah. over the... Yeah. yeah. The this podcast is sponsored by CuriosityStream. Want <laughs> oh, to yeah, know more right. about... Sorry. That's everybody. Oh, it used to be Squarespace, and then it was, yeah. like, that mattress company, right? Yeah, yeah, Casper yeah. I think it's better help now. Like oh. uh, online counseling is the big sponsor now. That's so maybe dark. I just listen to podcasts for depressed people. Is episode 174 of Insert Credit, the nice. relentlessly paced talk show where I, your host, burden a panel of video game experts with addressing a series of 10 topics in no more than six minutes each. I'm Alex Jaffe, and my favorite Daft Punk song was Defunk. Oh my god. Um, my name is Frank Cifaldi, and my favorite Daft Punk song, uh, do I have to have one? No. Is that a, re- is that a requirement? No, you can say something else. Okay. Um, my favorite Daft Punk song was, uh... The Insert Credit Buzzer. Yeah, the Insert Credit <laughs> Buzzer, yes, yes. It's a good one. I'm Brandon Sheffield, and my favorite Daft Punk song... So, I saw Square Pusher do a performance at uh, in san francisco and they were like going back to the roots of very electro-ish electronic and kind of detroit minimalism and stuff it was really cool and they were wearing like a, a big led mask thing that did stuff in time with the music and for a long time i forgot that that wasn't daft punk and so <laughs> my favorite my favorite daft punk song is um that square pusher album from that's like perfect. 2008 that's exactly insert credit answer i was looking for joining us this week uh return to the show video game designer composer columnist and podcaster lid ryerson lid liz ryerson lid put the you you just put the lid on lid ryerson yeah i had a dream lydia so is it liz and then in quotes lids like that's your nickname liz 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 ryerson i could be lydia from uh like uh, Beetlejuice. 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 Mm, yeah, he called sure. lids, especially in the in the cartoon. Yeah, I mean that show, that movie slash show is, I guess, quote unquote, problematic. But I did like that. Uh, I did th- think that she was cool as a as a child. So sure, I still like that movie. Uh, I mean, it, there's some problems in it, sure, but look at those effects in there. <laughs> the second cool. best Tim Burton movie. Yeah, yeah. I haven't. I need to watch it recently because I have watched a lot of uh, earlier Tim Burton movies recently. My favorite Daft Punk song is "Happier" by Marshmallow. Okay, that was a troll. Um, I I made a joke on Twitter that Daft Punk was just Marshmallow for forty year olds, um, and I don't actually believe that. But I just said that to make people mad. Marshmallow is some guy who like ten year olds really like who played. Uh, DJ set on Fortnite. Uh, yeah, in case you're wondering. I think it's worth making those people mad sometimes. Uh, yeah. That's what this show's for. 
Yeah. For, for making people mad? Yeah, that's why we need to increase the reach of the show so we can make as many people mad. You know, I've, I've actually heard tell recently that um, I hate everything and that it makes people mad. So, um, <laughs> no, you just hate Nintendo. Oh. Yeah, I, I would like to reassure everyone. Well, to everyone, some people, Nintendo is everything. I don't, I don't well, hate everything. Actually, well, see, here, here's what I was going to say about your ha- Nintendo hating, because I, I support it, but my relationship with Nintendo is more like um, Robert Mitchum in uh, Night of the Hunter, in that I have love and hate yeah, tattooed on your knuckles. On each, yeah. All right. each of, yeah, I have a very love-hate relationship with Nintendo, I guess. So I support your Nintendo hatred um, somewhat. I was, I was surprised to learn that people apparently thought that I hated Breath of the Wild. I love Breath of the Wild. That's, that's the only Zelda game I've ever beaten. I, I did every quest. Spent like 100-something hours on that game. Love that game. Uh, so that was that was a surprise to me. I guess I need to maybe be a little more positive or something. <laughs> And see, I say that I don't like that game and people don't get mad at me for some reason. So something's <laughs> wrong here. What's the deal? It's because uh, Brandon is a Sega person. Love right. Sega. Love NEC. Well, previously on Insert Credit, episode 12, September 2012, I asked, which video game soundtracks are most notable for their use of uncommonly heard instruments? Mm. Yeah. I have a good answer. Mm. Uh, yes, uh, Evergrace soundtrack by I think I already mentioned it by um, Kota Hoshino. Um, yeah. yeah, that soundtrack absolutely, and also uh, Secret of Mana slash uh, Psych- Seiken Densetsu Three um, as well. Yeah, it's a it's a great question because like I, I've mentioned in some point in this podcast uh, how the the Mandalorian show uses all these different instruments and stuff, and it's like why why not use unique different kinds of instruments? Just like put Put a bunch of odd stuff in there. It gives you some flair, you know? I'm trying to think of some more because Evergrace was actually the first one that came to mind for me as well. It's at least, it's also got different orchestration and instrumentation, I guess. What were some interesting things that Evergrace? Discordance. Uh, yeah, lots of like random uh, shouting, shouting and chanting that don't necessarily like match up one, you know, one to one with the music. Well, this is besides what you were going to say. It's just the first thing that came to mind for me. So you all have probably seen um, how people have been sort of remastering like Super Nintendo, Super Mario World music by going back to the sources. Uh, yeah, kind of thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have issues with those. Yeah, but anyway. no, I, don't, I don't care to hear them at this moment. Because, <laughs> okay, no, um, continue, continue. Um, what I actually find really interesting that I think most people miss, even though the person who was promoting these linked it out is that um there's this gigantic spreadsheet of identified uh sound samples used in video games mm-hmm. um and i think my favorite is that uh canonically kk slider has a has a rap man and and uses oh. it in his compositions so that's cool yeah that's good i thought of too while you were talking there i got fatal fury i i don't know if they started the trend of it but people started to get really into using kind of um, gamelan and also the monkey chant, uh, mm-hmm. Balinese mo- monkey chant, um, simultaneously or separately. And I, I feel like, um, I forget whose stage it was. It's like, it's Joe Higashi or Sai or somebody. Anyway, they have they have some of that going on in there. And that, that's pretty interesting. And then it started a trend in Japan for like 20 years of every track having having one of those in there which I thought was interesting, but probably one of the most interesting instruments in a video game, um, it, also controversial perhaps, is Michael Jackson's voice, which is uh, just his his sounds he made with his mouth. Like all, all of the claps and 
and stuff in uh, Sonic 3 are just Michael Jackson beatboxing. I actually was going to bring up another one from Sonic 3 because it's not all of them. Uh, in fact, there is the grunt at the beginning of James Brown's Say It Loud, I'm Black and Proud that is used in four tracks in Sonic 3. Yeah. Yeah, I know that one. Well, Dang. I'm sure I'm sure you all know about all the like copyrighted material that's sampled on the Earthbound soundtrack. That's a pretty mm-hmm. famous yeah. example. There's a mm-hmm. there's lists of it online, so I won't mention <laughs> it's, it. It's it's in the spreadsheet that I have open right now. <laughs> yeah, it's through. pretty famous for that. Yeah. I, I can't place them, but I know that Nier has a lot of instru- interesting instruments used, but or it feels that way. I guess actually maybe I would say it has some of the best use of vocal chorus sure. in a video game that I've heard. And there are some interesting, like, what do you call the instruments? Like triangles and, and marimbas and stuff. What's what's the genre for chimes. that? Percussion? Yeah, percussion. Oh. I guess percussion. But yeah, chimes. There's there's more chimes used uh, in an interesting way in that game, I feel. Yeah, like. good chimes. Yeah, chimes and chimes. So with Earthbound, I... I knew John Lennon and the Beatles and the Beach Boys and Earthbound. I didn't realize that Dinosaur Jr. was sampled, which is what I didn't know that. Yeah, what's song called, what tra- song called Palado? And it's oh. uh, and it's when uh, the final boss is dying. What really? Uh, wow, yeah. that's oh wow, that is just the so spreadsheet. The spreadsheet me. rules. I'm gonna link that this is, in our chat right now. That is one of that is the weirdest dinosaur juniors. It's a it's a proto Sebado song. If anybody knows who Sebado is, anyway, that's that's so weird. Wow, that explains why we haven't been able to get Mother Three here. They can't get the clearance from Danzig. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. All right. Uh, no, you know I'm looking at Mother Three on the spreadsheet right now, and I don't see Danzig, so I'm, I'm assuming that was a joke. All right. (laughs) It's a reference to the song Mother that he did, Frank. Yes, I I get it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. 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 Uh, Esper, why don't you cut like one or two layers out of that joke? You're probably (laughs) just going to add it double in, (laughs) double down on it. So, Pokemon is celebrating Uh its 25th anniversary with a series of virtual concerts by celebrity musicians. If you were in charge of booking, who would you have approached for this series? And how would you relate their acts to Pokemon? Uh, Yeah. I would bring back some like failed 80s rapper, but who was actually pretty good. Like, I don't know, th- third base or something like that. I don't want to call them failed. Uh, let's say vintage. And then I would have them do a new Pokemon rap, but it's still like 80s style. Um, so that's one thing I would do is I would I would bring back like third base, but featuring Sir Mix-a-Lot for some reason. And it would be like uh, Bulbasaur's got back. <laughs> wow. Sure. Um, Nintendo released this compilation album in the early 90s called White Knuckle Scorin. Um, really? It has a pretty eclectic uh, uh, group of, of musicians uh, that have nothing to do with video games. Um, so I would just kind of throw a dart at this. I think um, I'm going to kind of close my eyes, point my finger. Who's this? Uh, Brittany Fox. I have no idea who Brittany Fox is, but right next to her is Sheena Easton. So mm. Brittany Fox is a, is a metal vocalist who was like um, like hair metal style. She always had a really big teased out hair. If I if I got the person correct, I'm pretty sure okay. that, that's who that is. Well, yeah, I don't a, actually a, know who that is. As a backup, there is a track from Crosby, Stills and Nash on here. So <laughs> wow, helps you with um, video games. Oh wait, Brittany Fox. There there are no that was not a woman, but it is a hair metal band. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's it's just uh, I thought it was a person's name, but it is the name of the band. And but oh. they do have teased out hair, so I was I was right about that. They look fantastic, I have to say. 
I so I'll, I would say um I would say like something like the B52s or um like Delight or uh I feel like that mi- mixes with the vibe of uh Pokemon pretty well. Delight was actually kind of uh it's kind of like a one hit wonder but uh the woman who is like the leader of that band kind of had her image stolen for um that Sega game what is it Channel 5 or whatever it's called yeah, Space, Channel Space Channel 5 Space, Space Channel 5 yeah Anyway, I'd say I'd say either of those uh, would work pretty well. I feel like you could um, you could get some band that 30 year olds or like 35 year olds remember and young people like to do like some some it wouldn't have to be a cover thing, but they could just be like the headlining band. So someone like the Foo Fighters, you know, (laughs) I'm not saying this that I want it. I'm I'm designing this for the for the for the audience. Like I, yeah. I would prefer to never hear the Foo Fighters again in my life. Canonically, but... there's an ex- exacerbated sigh after Foo Fighters. In the <laughs> name. That's part of the name. Just, uh-huh. just put like a hundred Gex in there or whatever. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I like that. Yeah, gex. I don't even know if they, if they're still considered hip or with it at the current moment. But yeah, they might have gotten too popular after being in Minecraft. Okay, <laughs> you know what? I got one. I think um, anyone who's super into Pokemon from any generation would think it would be hilarious if Rick Astley was there. That yeah, might be true. That's yeah, that might actually be true. That, that's a pretty closely tied together Venn diagram. Yeah, yeah. Rick Astley so. actually has some really good songs also that are not um, <laughs> never going to give you up, by the way. Of course you would know that. <laughs> He's pretty good. He had, a, good. he had another single, Together Forever. I remember it. Sure. He's, he's got that that really deep soulful voice and uh he's 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 good. I'll I'll share We're I'll share some of my favorites. To love. <laughs> what, what? <laughs> that was I will terrible. Say, nice. Sorry. No, I like uh, it. The number one song of 1996, the year that Pokémon first debuted, was of course the Macarena Bayside Boys mix by Los Del Rio. Oh. So we may want to do something with that. Someone was telling me on Twitter uh, they were like, but do you realize how close the Saturn was to being named the Macarena? And I don't know if that was a joke. Is that real? <laughs> <laughs> were they going to name the Sega Saturn the Macarena at one point before they realized that was a popular song? Or right. I mean, um, and then it became a popular song later. I cannot believe it. I don't. No. I hope it's not true. That, that sounds like I an absolutely legend. don't believe that. That sounds no. like a joke. They done got me. Owned. Okay, who else do we have? If I were doing it for me, I would have the Rippingtons. Mm. Do some some jazz fusion, and I feel like it would go really well with any psychic character that was going on. And then I would have some. Oh, actually, again, if we're going for for like doing this for me, but I think the kids would like it too. If we got God darn what's her name with the looking over her shoulder, famous city pop um, Maven of the current era, uh, Ariana Grande. Yeah, Ariana Grande. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but you. But you know who I'm talking about with that famous city pop lady that is always coming around. If they got oh, her plastic love lady to come in, yeah, classic oh, love okay. lady. Okay, yeah, I know who you're talking about. If you got her to come do classic love, Maria Takuchi, uh, plastic love rather, and then you got plastic love would probably be with like I don't know, just Pikachu's or dancing around. Or <laughs> sure, I think I think you could actually make a pretty fun one that would appeal to a lot of people. Maybe we should have thought about that. Oh well. Well, we're out of time. <laughs> So I guess this is what the lineup we're stuck with. Plastic uh, love. Uh, which video games are the best at inducing claustrophobia? Oh God, did I tell you people about how I rediscovered claustrophobia a little while ago? Ow. Uh, oh God, was it, it was, due to the pandemic? It was not. It was, it was before that. So I was into uh, buying Groupons at one time. 
and just I remember fun. this phase of your life. That's yes. right. Th- this was this was when Groupon was actually Groupon and not yeah. whatever it became. Yes. Right. You could you could get discount interesting experiences. And I was like, why the heck not? And I'm glad I took advantage of that. But one of the things I bought was like drive a, a race car, a stock car uh, around this NASCAR style track. And I was like, that sounds cool. I'm going to do it. And it was like $100 off from $400. And that was a lot of money for me at the time. Uh, but I was like, when else am I going to get to do this? So it turned out that I wound up having to go to China right before. And so I came back from China the day before I did my car thingy. And I don't know if you've ever been in one of these but or seen how they do it. But they, when you get into the car, you have to climb in through the window. Like mm. the door doesn't open um, for safety reasons. It's It's welded in there. So you climb in there and then they strap you down in like 10 places. And the final place they strap you down is they strap your helmet in so your head can't move and your helmet is on and closed. And I was like, "Uh oh, can't feel my face, can't scratch my face, can't touch anything. Uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> and I started <laughs> no. to be like, claustrophobia oh, no. is here. I'm having a freaking panic attack. I had no idea that because I used when I was a little kid, I was always a small guy. And I liked to squeeze into tiny places and be like, surprise, it's me. I was in here. That was kind of part of my young person personality. And uh, so I liked small spaces. But suddenly I was like, I'm trapped in here. I'm strapped down. I can't escape. I will uh, have a panic attack pretty soon. Uh, it turns out the solution to that was they they said I could go with my um with my mask flipped up, like the visor part flipped up. And and that helped a lot. But I was I was like my brain was heating up was rough so video games that do that i don't i don't know if any games have actually made me feel that true like terror that just gets inside of you uh of claustrophobia i feel like a vr game could oh, you oh do yeah that. yeah that's true uh, no thanks i feel like any first person game uh where the environment sort of gets segmented like a first person shooter or something you're in a room you have to clear out and then you you know you're done with that room and you have to leave that room and uh sometimes you just can't find the exit because the level design is just not that great yeah um and i definitely feel claustrophobia in games like i don't know if it's claustrophobia or just i don't know intense hatred but you know my body starts heating up and i'm, I'm i get very stressed out if i'm just walking around this this video game environment and i'm stuck and i and i know it's just like a door that's not lit very well or something but i, I can't find it Maybe it's because the level design is so good that it's like did, uh, engineered to, to oh, do that. And he's just like working on levels uh, that you can't even comprehend. That's author the author intended. I see. <laughs> I uh, so I played this like indie horror type. I feel like a lot of those like, you know, like the games that like streamers play where you're like it's a dark and you only have like a flashlight and they're very the the environments are very like kind of under detailed so that kind of adds to it it you have such a narrow like range of view i feel like those kind of a lot of those games have claustrophobic feelings but i i played like something kind of like that recently which was like a student game based off of uh the chernobyl accident and you're supposed to like go down and like just hit a bunch of switches to like you know it's supposed to be based on like a real life thing but it's like they try to make it like a realistic sim so you have to move very slowly and you have to keep like getting new batteries for your flashlights and like you know like be very very careful around the toxic waste and everything so it's 
So I, I felt like that was a, a pretty claustrophobic feeling. Again, because I also had trouble like navigating the environment, figuring out where to go. But it reminds me, there's one that kind of gave me that feeling. Um, the first Everblue. Oh was... yeah, I know. I know Everblue. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a scuba diving game, and you know you're just you're diving underwater and you're going into sunken ships and photographing things and dodging predators and like looking looking for things down there but you don't have a map and you can't see that far ahead of yourself and and you have a uh, an air meter so you can get lost down there and not sure exactly about how to get back up while your air is depleting and and that kind of water gives me that claustrophobia feel pretty well because it's like you're free but you're also completely surrounded by something that can kill you definitely Uh, yeah, so I th- I think the first ever blue especially because the second one was a little little friendlier and and brighter colors, but the first one is all in like pirate ships and it's very dark when you're under the water. Uh, by the way, the name of the game that uh that I mentioned was called is called Liquidators. You can find it for free on Steam. I just forgot to mention that. Yeah, Liquidators sounds like a uh, uh it's, it's that's going to be Pepsi's new dating sim that <laughs> they do after the KFC one. Right, Liquidators mount up. <laughs> Jesus. Which is better? Games about upward movement or games about downward? Um, so we got Descent. Is there a game called Ascent? Uh, there must be. I'm there checking Moby be. games, folks. Hang on. I mean, there's games Thank about God. climbing. There's games of, certainly where you're like climbing things. Yeah, sure. so our, I guess like we'd probably have to break it up into kind of terrain-based and air-based because like if you're going up into the stratosphere, that's kind of interesting. Um, and descent is sort of the opposite. You're in a you're in a craft, but you're going deeper into the earth. Well, there's downwell. There's downwell. That's true. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, games that you kind of I don't know. Downwell reminds me of the the old calculator uh, TI eighty six. There was a game called Fall Down, which was just like a you know a version of a much more simple version of that where you're just like trying to guide your little avatar to keep going down you know platforms that are moving up and up. I feel like there's less games though that I can think of where you're going up. I mean, I don't really have a preference either way for going down or going up, though. Yeah, there's Quop. That's going up. Um, but I think in terms of games Isn't where you go... Isn't going right? Yeah, Quop's going right. What are you talking uh, about? Oh, sorry, not Quop. You're thinking I'm of GURP. About... Yeah, I meant GURP. Sorry. Oh. My mistake. Different sequence But getting of over it, that's about going up. So, but I think when it comes to falling down, um, probably the game we're all thinking of the most is Free Fall 3050 AD for the new oh, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, I wait. I I actually have heard of this game. Yeah, it's a it's a skydiving game, and you can find it on Steam. I think, can't you? I think it's. I think you can buy it on Steam now. Yeah, in in twenty nineteen, apparently, I did not realize that, but that's pretty cool. I had uh, I was talking to Chris Petrowski of Cappy Games before he was at Cappy Games when they, he was at a company called OK Fun, and he was like, "Dude, I got this amazing idea about a like a free falling skydiving game." where you do all these various things. And I was like, oh, you mean like free fall 3050 AD for the new one? He's like, what? <laughs> what was that combination of words that you just uttered? <laughs> yeah. And uh, he was sad to learn that it had already been had already been done. And unfortunately, I think my saying that to him talked him out of doing it when he could have made like a good one instead of, I mean, you know, it, it might be fine. You also but... probably created Cappy Games with this interaction. Oh, <laughs> all right. Let's take the positive. He was so angry about you, you like ruining his plans that he's like, I'm going to show Brandon. Yeah. 
So going up can be pretty cool in like a game where you're going through a tower, like for example, in the in mm-hmm. East three or something, you're just going you're going further and further up. Or also East one and two, going further up Darm Tower to destroy the the ultimate evil that's on the roof. I like that kind of thing. But I feel like when you're digging down into a game, you get more of that sense of discovery somehow. Like I found this thing. Yeah, but going up means you're jumping, and jumping always wins for me. I'm a sucker for jumping. You're a Celeste well, okay, man. Think about Tomb Raider, for example. In Tomb Raider, there are bits where you have to like climb way up a mountain, and and there's jumping, but there's a lot more parkour. But then when you go it down into a tomb, you're doing sliding and jumping there. But it's it's just going to depend on who you're controlling. I mean, like I think a Mario three level that went down would not be as interesting as like the pipe one where you go up. But imagine a Mario three level where it's like down well. And you have to hop on all the Goombas' heads. And That uh, actually is level in Super Mario World. Oh, well, there you go. How interesting is that one? <laughs> well, people remember the Super Mario Brothers 3 one more. Yeah, well, what's that level where... I guess you don't really go down, but there's that level where if you, you fall all the way down, like, the stage is different than if you, like, you know, land on the right platforms and, like, the stage splits in half. It's somewhere in World 5. World 5 is the best world in Super mm-hmm. Mario Bros. 3, in my opinion. But uh, I guess I guess you sort of... Uh, that's not really a going down level. And actually, the going down... The section where you fall down very far is kind of the worst section of that level, so... I'm really split on this because... Yeah, I like jumping and going up, but also I like digging down. I don't like jumping down, like, for example, in um, Ninja Spirit or um, Shadow of the Goddarn Shinobi 2, whatever it's called. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about on the Genesis? Um, what's that game called? It's the, Which one? It's the Shinobi where you have a dog. Oh, uh, Shadow Dancer. Shadow Dancer. There it is. Hold um, me closer, Shadow Dancer. <laughs> hold yeah. me closer, Thank Shadow you. Dancer. In both of those games, you have bits where you are like falling down and either avoiding or hitting a bunch of ninjas. And um, that's not fun at all. So that's what's got me thinking maybe down is, is not right. But I, I feel I feel attached to the discovery of down. I feel like going up causes can cause more like wonder or a feeling of like achievement. Mm-hmm. But but going down kind of has an interesting component of like you're unearthing something or just I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a going up slash going down centrist. I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's interesting about going up is that if you stop going up, you start going down. But when you're going down, if you stop going down, there you are. Yeah, that's true. How are we going to gerrymander the districts uh, in the <laughs> going up, going down debate? Right. <laughs> well, we're out of time. My vote is up. Okay, let's vote. Are we um, voting? Okay. Yes, right. we're voting. Yeah. Uh, I, right. I'm, I'm voting up. Um, you're up. And it's basically for the reason that uh, Liz explained, which is that uh, up is more of a sense of discovery and that you're going somewhere and uh, down is more, I don't know. Like, I don't I, I don't feel like I'm coming back out of going down. I'm voting down, but I'm complaining about it on Twitter and complaining about how my peers could have all voted up and then things would have been better. <laughs> OK, so I'm 55 percent voting going up and 45 percent voting going down, which means everything goes to voting up and going down has absolutely no rights at all. <laughs> That's right. OK, up wins. <gasps> Wow. By unanimous consensus. <laughs> well, Liz, I'm afraid I have some dire news. Uh, I've checked the hour, and it's time for all of us to venture into the improv zone. No. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. I, I, I can't do anything about it. My hands are tied here. <laughs> improv zone is definitely a down. <laughs> yeah, we're, we are going For this down. week's premise, I would like all of us to open up saltybet.com. 
Okay. The always streaming website where randomly selected and computer controlled user generated characters in the Mugen <clears throat> fighting game engine battle each other as viewers take bets on the outcome. For this challenge, the three of you are professional sports broadcasters commentating on the matches we see here. Oh man. <laughs> All right, perfect. folks, we've got a uh, we've got quite the match here at uh Salty Bet Stadium. We've got Game Boy fighting uh I believe her name is pronounced Seal. I don't know who this character is, but uh uh so far uh oh oh, oh as my I'm, god, as Game Boy. Explain, Game Seal Boy has wins. used her anime skills to uh lose. No, she won. <laughs> she won. Yeah, she won. My tell. She put <laughs> graphics all over the dang screen. Game Boy uh, doing <laughs> its patented crush move. Oh wow, that's gonna that's gonna hurt Seal quite a bit. But uh, you know, we've seen her come back from worse. Oh, Seal and again she for the did. win. Seal you see, again. Game Boy is uh, is is not using their their tech well enough. The the problem there was. Uh, no legs, no arms. Yeah, um, that is a problem. That is that is one of uh one of yeah one of the uh, Game Boy's fatal flaws. Unfortunately, the the player just couldn't overcome that. All right, we've got our next so uh, match looks coming like up. coming up next we are in heaven. Uh, and we have a a a dinosaur thing uh named Tyrog fighting um what may or may not be a genuine Native American. Named, named Condor, Condor, who is floating Condor. six inches above the ground. Yeah, this is a much-anticipated matchup. I've been wanting <laughs> to see Tyrog and Condor meet uh, in heaven because both of them have gone to heaven because they're both heavenly. And both dead, of course. If you look carefully, yeah. I think Condor may have a little something up his sleeves here because if you check, his left hand appears to have six fingers on it. Uh, yes. uh, oh, Tyrog with, 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 with the Tyrog's patented uh, hop skip. Oh, then... Tyrog's chest burster alien attack. Uh, I Into didn't think the we was going to bring that very, one out. It's a very, uh, very classy move, but Condor is everywhere with these uh, pile drivers. Yeah, Condor doing uh, prime wrestling moves. Oh, just doing a big special combo. Oh my god, I think I just spoiled uh, <laughs> myself. <laughs> Condor came with his uh, big boy pants today, as we can see. I think that extra finger is really giving him an edge here. Plus, the fact he's floating six inches off the ground is a little hard to beat. But, you know, I'm a little disappointed in Tyrog. I thought I was going to see some hammered more... Tyrog. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt, Brandon. No, that's that's okay. I mean, we got we to gotta call it like we see it. Tyrog, is he really uh, uh, crapped the bed, as they say. What a finisher. In the, in the same way that I have just crapped myself watching. Indeed. That was not the comeback we wanted to see. Uh, it's really... I have to go back to the drawing board on that one. And it looks like nearly everyone bet on Condor as well, and uh, and and they they certainly won. Team right. Blue. Gets good the news payout. for the chat today. A lot of, a lot of good uh, emojis and, and, and happy exclamations. So next up, we have a, a poor drawing of a character named Twink. <laughs> no, Zink. <laughs> And then we have Cordelia from possibly an RPG um, on the Game Boy, it looks so, like. So it looks like this is a classic matchup between uh, magic and technology. Yeah, uh, sure. So we've got a lot to look forward to here in uh, GBA town. Yes. Cordelia is going to have a tough fight. It's tough to go up against the periodic table of elements. Um, <laughs> I don't know how she's going to do it, but uh, she's also kind of blurry and not rendered like uh, very properly. It seems like she was upscaled, so that's going to be another problem. It's it's and blurry that's sometimes versus an advantage here. flash art. It's true, but one one thing that uh, she's got in her favor is that Zinc's visor keeps falling down. 
Mm. Um, so that might she be can, the crucial component. Yeah, if she can get there right in those moments, she can uh, really make something happen. And it looks like that's what we're what we're seeing. Oh, Zinc with the comeback. Yeah, but Cordelia, Cordelia is really pressing. That, that, just smacking him with the, with that staff. Well, and 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 it's the elemental magic really that gives her the advantage here because uh, oh yeah, there zinc has gone down. Yep. So yeah, that broomstick gives her a crazy. Memory. She controls the element, and zinc is an element, and so I think that's where <laughs> what, what we missed earlier that was the, uh, the 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 true factor in that. Zinc brought out his zap attack, but Cordelia is countering with her uh, impenetrable magic circles. She's got yeah. a lot of circles this game. <laughs> you really can't go at a magician with a zap attack. It's just, it's not a good strategy. We've seen this over and over. Zinc's yeah. got uh, Cordelia trapped in the Ooh. corner, and now he wow. did an uh, insane zigzag attack, and I have soiled myself again. That zigzag <laughs> attack was something. Zinc, where, where did that come from? We need to see more of that. Oh, and there it was. More zigzags means Zinc takes the win. Oh, Zinc. Uh, had a familiar or something appear on the screen. Little shadow buddy. Oh, we're so all now it's up. a tiebreaker. It's a tiebreaker uh, here. One one. Winner takes all. It all comes Ooh. down to this. Cordelia you... has a really really good start here. You yeah, can see what circles. a good fight it is because the pedestrians are just frozen in place. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just locked in. That was oh, perfect. perfect. Oh, that was perfect win. Zinc used all his energy <laughs> with those weird zigzag attacks. <laughs> yeah, you can't. I mean, Cordelia is like a pool shark. You know, she she usually saves it for that last round. And uh, boy, did she come out swinging this time. All she right. Sure that's it from uh, Salty Bet Stadium. Thank you for tuning in, folks. <laughs> yeah, that's this week's Salty Bet Classic. We'll see if we do this again uh, or if it's entertaining at all. If you can't see what's happening, uh, we'll be right back after a quick break. So I just had a realization, which is yeah. we should have uh, screen recorded that, screen grabbed that. <laughs> uh, whatever. Um, Maybe if we do it again, because that was kind of fun, actually. It was more fun to do. <laughs> well, we had some visual stimuli right. as opposed to ever before. Right. <laughs> That's a little bit of a plus. Yeah, I figured part of the point was that we were we were doing it intentionally, so they had to imagine what we were narrating. Yeah, oh, yeah. I like that part. That of it was too. the point. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I kind of went overboard with my soil. I went. I no, went. I, I went. No, that was no you soiled yourself just enough. Three would okay. have been too much. Okay. <laughs> you know what they say: the comedy rule of two. <laughs> of yeah. number twos. Welcome back to the Insert Credit Show. We are halfway through episode 174 with our guest, Liz Ryerson. But now it's time to head into the dirt bag. Every week, I select a question submitted by one of our patrons in a form which can only be found by subscribers to patreon.com slash insert credit. This week's question is from Malcove, who asks, most games are made with one, two, or four, or 99, God help us, players in mind. What is the best Three player game. Ooh, three. Oh. Um, didn't Secret of Mana have a three player? It wasn't it like a, a three player mode. I feel like it did. There are three characters that run around with you, and I think it offered multiplayer. So I'm gonna guess. Yeah, that's the only one I can think of. I know some people don't like that game. I like it mostly for the music. But I mean, I feel like that four player Mario. 3D world just gets worse with more players. So I will say the three player mode's probably better than the four player mode, but I don't I like 
that's Liz's example is the only actual three player game maybe ever. I no, I what think about Triforce some... Heroes? That was a three player game. Not really? Good. Was I'm it pretty really? sure there's a three player multiplayer. I just Googled and cheated. Great. That's not cheating. Uh, a few things come up. I, I don't know how accurate this is, but it said uh, it said super off road. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. that game yeah. rules. Yeah, the, the arcade game just has three steering wheels. That's true. Mm-hmm. Rampage World Tour, apparently. I do remember oh, playing yeah. that is a three-player game. Yeah, yeah, Rampage. Okay. okay. This is very specific, but the Saturn version of Street Fighter Alpha 3 has, in, in dramatic mode, dramatic mode is where you can play two-on-one, and you can play two humans on uh, against one human, which is great if you want to fight, for example, Patrick Miller or somebody that really knows how to play fighting games. Ooh. And... Uh, and you can, so you can have two amateurs against one more successful person, which is actually really fun in a it's it's obviously something you can't balance and it's super asynchronous uh, in terms of that sort of thing. But it's it's great. I love that one. That's pretty cool. Uh, it mentions a few Sega games here, by the way, uh, Brandon. It mentions uh, Game Ground. Oh, Game Ground. It has three players. I didn't realize the that ar- the arcade mode apparently does. Huh. And Game Ground also- is great. Have you played Game Ground much? I've only heard of it. It's a very like slow paced action top down shooting thing where you're like throwing spears or throwing swords or shooting out magic. And you start with one character and then you gain additional characters who are basically your lives by saving them in the world. But every every map is a specific pattern and puzzle. Um, so they're all the enemies are in a certain spot. And there's kind of like a couple of ideal ways to go at it. And so you you just keep playing it and get better at it over time and saving these characters that have new, unique ways to deal with the environment and stuff. It's pretty cool. And you, you can uh, throw straight ahead, but some characters have um, attacks that go upward so they can get enemies that are standing on, on walls. It's one of the slower paced, but more interesting action games. It's like a, an early puzzly action game, I feel. Yeah, it looks like one of those kind of slightly lesser known Sega games that that is kind of interesting and maybe a little experimental. So yeah. I definitely will check that out. Uh, it also mentions The Cave by Double Fine. And the only I haven't played the game. The only reason I mention it is because my friend JP LeBreton worked on that game. So the game's all right. I'm seeing that uh, Earth Defense Force 2017 is a three player game. Oh, that's a good one. Well, hang on. Let's not move away from Sega yet because we are forgetting uh, the arcade game Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, which mm, offers right. three different Michael Jacksons. Three sure. Michaels. Oh. And they all turn into robots. Yeah. So that might be the definitive answer. Frank, we beat that at California Ex- Arcade Extreme Expo. Yeah. Remember that? Uh, that of course time. I do. Yes. Yes. I love that. There were game. only two of us, though. We didn't have a third Michael. So no. did you really beat it then? <laughs> Yeah, we didn't see the real ending. Yeah, the real yeah. Three Michaels ending. Right. The like, Joe Pesci only screams when you beat it with two people, but I think his face explodes like uh, Bionic <laughs> Commando, like Hitler uh, Bionic Commando, if you have three players. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, like, I think I think there's a three-player mode in one of the um, PC Engine, like either Devil's Crush or Alien Crush, where, because they're, they're uh, it must be Alien Crush, because there are three flippers, two on the bottom and then one on the up on the side. You know how they do that with pinball sometimes? Yeah. And each player can control one of those flippers. I believe that's oh. true. Can they all tilt? Because that would be awful. Oh man, that would be <laughs> a, that would be quite the uh, the game changer. Talk about screen shake. All right. 
I think Moonwalker's our answer then. Yeah, oh, Moonwalker. Yeah. yeah. That's a fun 3P experience. Once, uh, though. Once you're done, sure. You know, give it like a five year break before you try it again. Any arcade. Sega bar. dominates and wins again. Yeah. Uh, yes. Sorry, Nintendo. Yes. Okay. Sorry. At this point, I now have a Sony choose your own adventure for you. We can talk about one of the following things either the February 25th Sony State of Play presentation, or we could talk about Sony's announcement that they're shuttering Japan Studio. Oh, man. Uh, I don't know anything about the first one. I, I saw I saw some Final Fantasy stuff. That's all I, I saw. I watched the first one, and w- maybe I'll talk about it later after the show. But yeah, let's talk about the, the, the shuttering of Japan Studio. Because... All right. Are you, are you cool with that, Frank? Yeah, you gotta Liz, tell me what they made. They made uh, all kinds of stuff like Ape Escape, um, the Eco Games. I, and Eco and all the Team Eco Games were done there. And they also did a lot of, I guess they're lesser discussed for this, but they did a lot of co-development and publishing kind of stuff where they would shepherd development of games like Ark the Lad. They helped out with um, Wild Arms. Jumping Flash. Uh, Jumping Flash. Parappa was through them. According um, to Wikipedia, their first published game was called Crime Crackers. So I like that. Yeah, that's by Media Vision. That game actually has a fantastic look. If you ever look at it, it's um, it's like it's a first person shooter. Um, starring a bunch of little animes, but it's got this flat shaded look that it is like super bright. It's one of the brighter, happier first person shooters that I've ever seen. Um, they did uh, that Africa game, if you remember, mm-hmm. and um, also co-developed Tokyo Jungle. So basically they work on those uh, Gravity Rush games. As absolutely. Well. Yes. Gravity yeah. Rush, Siren. So they were really like the Sony's um, premiere they were the prestige studio for Sony in Japan, and it really feels like the end of an era that they're gone. I was I was saying this to someone, but you like to feel as a game developer that eventually like a big triple A artsy game or or weirdo game or something like that is possible or in the cards for you. Maybe like maybe you could work on something like that. Maybe not everyone has that. But for me, that was like the studio's existence the ability to finally put out Last Guardian for better or for worse, you know, like mm-hmm. that's something to aspire to. And with the company gone, it, it feels like a, a void is there. Like, I don't know if I can aspire to that if Sony can't do it, you know? I feel like these are the types of games that like people who actually want to make games and who are in games like want to see and are happy about when they're I made. I agree. They might embody some kind of experimental or interesting ideas and they give hope that like there's some uh hope for like the industry uh, as an entity to continue to exist while still support occasionally support games like this and not just be tied to you know immediate profit in the biggest franchises and in in that case like with anything else and with any other kind of studio like this it's pretty dark when you think about the just reality of like uh what can you really even <laughs> make you know what, what are you yeah. allowed? it's not very uh encouraging for people who want to work in the industry especially in you know bigger companies like that yeah i mean they made you know they did eco and last guardian and um shadow of the colossus which are like these big ambitious artistically minded things and then they also did Kung Fu Rider, the game where a bunch of different characters are just rolling down the street on office chairs and you can upgrade your office chair and get a different kind of person to ride down the street on an office chair. Talk about downward movement. I'm looking at the Wikipedia list and like I just have a hard time imagining there's a lot of DNA between these projects. 
like in 2010, how many games did they ship? One, two, three, four, five, six. Well, seven, so eight, again, nine, some 10, 11, some 12, of this 30, is 40. fifteen games. Fifteen games in twenty ten. Yeah, but some of this is publishing and production help and stuff like sure, that. Sure, sure. So there's there's a lot. Well, of, I will um, say so. I was kind of looking for ones that they made by themselves that weren't co-developed. Uh, the one that jumped out at me as a, as a sort of insert credit recommendation would be a uh, Flipnik on the PS2. Oh, I love Flipnik. Yeah, that's a good one. Like it seems like they made that tech demo y game Fantavision. They did. Yep. They did Loco Roco. I want to be able to have this kind of company be out there. They 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 also did the um I'm blanking on his name, but the, that that cat game. God darn it. They did that game Broken. Lifeline, which like it's the one where you control uh the game entirely With a microphone. The, yeah. the, so many like interesting experimental ideas. I mean, I, I know that this is back in like the PlayStation 2 era, but like I don't know. It's just depressing to think about that that stuff was ever supported at all, given where that part of the industry is now. I mean, they were always doing that, even with Ape Escape, the original Ape Escape on PlayStation 1. That was the first game that was launched to sort of prove you needed a dual analog stick. Like it was designed around the dual analog stick being the wave of the future. You know, you're launching a new peripheral and you're like, this is going to be the future. And to do that, you make a game about catching apes with a net like i think that's really that's good i wish we could have more of that kind of a vibe where when when you're trying to prove out a technology you do something goofy and interesting with it rather than grim dark and dire you know so i lament their passing i know that the astrobot team got to stay so that's something but that company has been bleeding its talent for a long time fumito ueda left a long time ago the gravity rush and siren person announced that he was leaving i don't know like a year and a half ago or something like that and a lot of the developers went with him so maybe there will be some stuff coming out of that but the the idea of like a first party platform exclusive team that can just do anything interesting like that that kind of safety of being able to experiment is what this stuff also makes me sad because i don't know i was reading there was an article recently just about the kind of dire work conditions of the anime uh industry in japan oh, um, yeah and uh somebody on i think it was like the select button forums was just, just talking about how it's barely any better in the japanese game industry and like he he said friends don't let friends work in japan um <laughs> oh god i i think i think specifically because um uh, but that is something that hasn't really been talked about uh, as much, you know, with all the covering of like the the cyberpunk stuff and all the other like uh, labor uh, issues in games. That's something that maybe uh, is a facet of this whole situation that is is part of maybe why some of you know people are leaving just because uh, situations are kind of getting so bad in terms of uh, work environment and all that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, you get more of these folks. Who are they're they're getting older, but they're still the people working on these games, and they got to be getting real burned out. A couple of my friends just left a company in Japan, and I believe the answer was burnout because uh, one of them was hospitalized for overwork. And we it's definitely under discussed because people literally don't talk about it over there because you can get like branded as not being a team player after that, and then who's gonna hire you? And there's there's such a uh, it's almost like a studio system that they got going on over there in a certain way. That is funny because I have talked to uh, people about how how the Japanese game industry reminds me more of Hollywood than any other part of the game industry. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, my issue there is that burnout was developed in the UK. Oh, good point by Criterion. Okay, okay, right. It was developed entirely by the guy who made No Man's Sky. Now that's yeah. So something yeah. I want to throw in right at the end here is that um, even though whatever the Xbox service is called is maybe not doing as well for them as they had hoped, you know, the the sort of subscription service, Game the games. Yeah, thank you. Um, I do think that inevitably games go toward this network model and that exclusive content, uh, you know, much like a streaming service uh, is what sort of defines companies and keeps them, you know, get subscribers. And uh, it's going to be a real good time when they decide to spin this back up from scratch. That is very funny. And another thing that is, uh, well, it's not funny, it's sad funny. Uh, another thing I found funny, which is related to the Sony press conference, is that since the game, what was it called? Deathloop was mm-hmm. announced, Arcane Studios. Um, Microsoft bought ZeniMax, which owns Arcane Studios. So now you have a PlayStation exclusive game owned by Microsoft. Mm. <laughs> that kind of sounds like you find it kind of funny and find it kind of funny. yeah, I do a little bit. The the uh, the oh, but these these oh. games in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had. So I can't yeah, really complain. I mean, and isn't it ironic? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Think. Here's our next question: Is it time to retire pixel art in video games? To retire it? Yeah, it better not be. <laughs> Well, what's good about it why do you like it brandon's this so, model depends on it i'm happy that pixel art is where it is in the industry right now because i feel like it's truly gotten to the point where you can take it as a stylistic choice and you don't have to do it as a retro thing like mm-hmm. you know i don't love how octopath traveler looks nor particularly triangle puzzle strategy experience i already forgot what it's called the new final fantasy tactics like triangle strategy project triangle strategy anyway i don't love the way they address pixel art but it is different and a lot of indies are going out there and doing like real-time shadows on pixel art or light sourcing with all kinds of weird stuff and i see i see fewer people going like oh look at those atari graphics or whatever kind of thing I do still see people saying, like, I could run that on my phone. Like, that's an insult. But uh, phones are very powerful now. But I think pixel art is now a choice that you can make. You can decide to make a pixel art game or a 3D game. And I don't think it makes you lesser. It does sort of put you in a certain genre space, maybe. But I think there's a lot more to be done with it. And I think we're going we're gonna to show some people a couple of things that we're going to do with it in our next game. When did that turnover happen? When did uh, Pixel Art exactly go from being a crutch to a choice? I think it started with Xbox Live Arcade mm. and people just being able to put out viable Pixel Art games again. I think that was a big part of it. And then I think the ability to put out and actually sell Pixel Art games again, let people experiment with it more and not just do exactly the thing. And so then now you have the people who are like, I'm doing an NES palette game. This is going to be limited exactly to what it can do. And then you get companies like Tribute just put out that, what is it, Panzer Paladin? And originally it was going to strictly map to what the NES could do. And then they were like, wait, why are we doing this? We can still make it look like that kind of, but then we can use crazy parallax going everywhere and we can do these effects that wouldn't be possible and we can make it, you know, like that vibe, but bigger and bolder and do all this extra stuff. And there are also... What's that game where you got a big cone on your head? It's got one word. It's like cone it's head. Not yeah, cone that's head. the one. It's 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 like deliverance or oh man, I can't remember what it's called. But it's a, is it a Zippy the Pinhead platform game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's just Zippy and what was Zippina his wife? I don't know. Um, 
but you can just do some really interesting stuff with pixel art like with scale like walk up to some giant thing and then pan up to it that you can't quite do in 3d because in 3d it's easy to lose a sense of scale because you're you're sort of in there and big things don't feel as big because you you can't force perspective you can't control the camera in that way right. and so so i think there's a lot more to be done with that I, I want to say uh, real quick, um, I think there are certain cliches around pixel art uh, and and things that are done over and over again that definitely need to die. Uh, people need to That's uh, fair. you know use it more creatively because there are certain styles of pixel art or certain tropes that continue to appear. But I will say, like, I feel like it was pretty necessary that it became a thing that started to be viable again, because if you look at some of those like Xbox 360 uh, Xbox Live, like uh, when they like relaunched platformers, you know, and they like look like they all look like Mighty Number no. Nine. They have like this awful like yeah, like yeah, yeah, or like that um, uh, Rocket uh, Knight. It uh, they like re uh, rebooted. Yeah, when that. they redid Rocket Knight Adventure, it just looks it looks so bland. It looks like being in a corporate office building, and like mm -hmm. like a pixel art reboot it was it would be vastly preferable. So I think it was like necessary, although I do think there are a lot of cliches around it that probably need to die. I think it's I think it was necessary too and I think that it's actually really difficult to do 2D art that doesn't look like a sterile office building without doing pixel art without doing low res art. I think that I think we kind of rely on uh filling in the gaps ourselves. And I also uh disagree with Brandon about it being XBLA that made it okay. Um, I think that's what gave people a platform to start playing with it again. But I, I don't think that it became something that could sell games until like Shovel Knight and and Celeste, like oh, until wow. there were hits that yeah. had pixels. I think that before that, um, you were choosing to be a niche game by doing. You think pixel it was art. that far back? I mean, that um, far, um, that recent? Well, that you yeah, could do a hit. Yes, absolutely. Well, like Minecraft is sort of pixely. <laughs> I yeah. mean, boxily. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's voxely. Uh, well, I guess I see that point. We had we had to we had to wait for a hit that the kids knew, you know, and, and now yeah. it can be a it can be a style. Now you can point to Shovel Knight in a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, that's true. You can. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. <laughs> hey, Frank, you yeah. won last week's episode. So yeah. that means it's time for you to ask a question. <laughs> well, I'm not going to ask a question. I'm just going to start saying some stuff and then we're going to riff on it. And it's based on the last question and unrelated okay. things that got me thinking about. So it's um, the improv sound. Which is, yes, <laughs> improv sound. Um, Welcome back. Well, what I find really interesting about modern pixel art is that it is almost based on a misunderstanding of what video game art was meant to look like in its time. You know, we've all seen that, like, that meme going around that's like, here's what indie game artists think a retro game looks like. And it's like a super clean emulator link. And then it's like, right. here's what retro games actually look like. And it's, you know, messy link. I, I think it's, I think it's kind of fascinating that we have an entire art style that's come out of, you know, that sort of misunderstanding of, of artistic intent from the day. Yeah. And I also find it interesting. Um, and we can, we can go either way with this topic. We can go both ways. I find it interesting that looking back at, at a lot of this older art, it's clearly wrong to be looking at them razor sharp. You know, just right. think things like, uh, you know, the dithered waterfall in, in Sonic being sort of the famous example where you lose the, the intended transparency effect if you see the, the sharp pixels. So, yes, uh, please, yeah. someone respond to my rambling here. I got to bring up Xenocrisis again real quick, because that is a modern game 
on the Genesis done by, uh, with the art by Hank Nieborg. Uh, ap- apologies if I spelled that. It might be Nyborg. The art in that game is clearly intended to be viewed. It looks good, sharp, but it's clearly intended to be viewed on a CRT because when you watch it, when you play the game on a Genesis on a CRT, all the monsters have so much more detail. All the backgrounds are like perfectly these rounded swoopy things instead of little jaggy stuff that still, again, looks great on your PC. But it's it's amazing that 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 art is like not lost somehow, even though we've moved into the modern era. I think that's pretty fantastic. I do think that uh, a certain style of pixel art, especially with a game like Shovel Knight or something like that, it is an idealization of like a specific idea of what these games are. But also I feel like all of these games kind of ape like very late era NES game. Like I mm-hmm. like they look like Shatterhand to me. Like everything looks right. like yeah. to me. Or Street Fighter 2010. Or, or Vice Project Doom. Yeah. Or <laughs> that that genre of games, I, I believe it was the magazine Video Games and Entertain Video Games and Computer Entertainment that coined that guy games in, on the NES. Oh. Sort of like tall, lanky dudes who could wall jump. What's that oh, yeah. really uh expensive game? Uh Master? No, no. Well, <laughs> there's so many, I guess. It's like <laughs> Little, it's like a little mag- Samson. Little Samson. Also, that game kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the days where ROM space was no longer an issue. Yeah, like exactly. I I also find it interesting that folks are going back to the they're going back and looking at Apple II type stuff where it's black and white, but they're not they're not like let's make an Apple II game. And it evolved into I I hate the name of this aesthetic, but they call it one bit because one, one bit doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. But um. I do like the aesthetic, and you get I games really like, like the aesthetic. And yeah, I, like World I of kind Horror of feel and Mad Minute. about it. Like, I feel guilty that I like that aesthetic. It's yeah, okay. That, we can like that it. Game, that game Faith also has kind of a. I, I mean, I, I like. I kind of actually like some of the older NES games and stuff like that. Not for necessarily. I mean, I think you have to kind of look beyond the surface aesthetics, and I, I guess this is my problem with the the Shovel Knights and stuff in terms of approach to art direction is that there is an inherent like kind of idealization of that era whereas i yeah. kind of like the the weird murky like the the ways in which these games like resist you and are kind of strange if maybe unintentionally so and i think that opens up like an expressive space that some games you know explore especially some of those like low games like faith or or something like that but i just feel like that's a whole space that is opened up by a lot of old nintendo games that that i still think about that isn't really something that people necessarily think about when they think about pixel art because they're thinking about it more as almost like a a a surface decoration on top of the game rather Mm -hmm. than something that defines its feeling or approach i don't want to get too like detailed on this but with our next video game um we at some point decided that Brent Porter was going to do the backgrounds with the limitations of a theoretical game system that had certain constraints. Like there were certain amounts of frames you could use on stuff. There were certain things it could do, certain things it couldn't do. And, and we developed a series of rules for textures and polygons and various things uh, that we stuck to. And then at some point, we were uh he was kind of like ah maybe we don't really need to do that adhere to it as strictly maybe i can get a little looser with this the background that he made while thinking that you looked at it and it didn't really have a feeling to it it felt like a place but it didn't feel like a place you wanted to go or it didn't feel like part of the rest of the game as much 
And once we were like, you know what, let's go back those rules, those boundary boxes and, and work, do what we can within those boxes. The next background looks so much better. And so I think you're really onto something with the limitations, even if you make them arbitrary, arbitrarily, those limitations can really help make something cohesive and actually give it like a soul somehow. Yeah, it gives it an identity as like yeah. part of the overall experience. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, time for our 10th question. What is the forgetting to defrost your ingredients until right before it's time to make dinner of video game? Oh, God. Uh, not installing the game ahead of yes. time. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's it. Sorry. We've, we've answered your question. Oh, yeah, I don't really think there's another answer to that question. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah, there's, is... a, there's a side, like a very specific side answer, which is like buying your kid a console, game console for Christmas. On yeah. On Christmas and not having all the stuff updated. Yeah. That's why you got to buy him one of them Ataris like we had when we was kids. Yeah. Or, or back in the day, they wouldn't sell uh, memory cards with... Uh, I, mm. I guess I learned it when I bought a PS2 because I had never owned a PS1. I didn't realize... I'm, I was like, I'm going to play Final Fantasy VII because everyone was raving about this game and I never played it. And I didn't realize that I had to have a PS1 memory card and the right. PS2 memory card wouldn't because no one tells you that. So that's that was annoying. Yeah, but you know that you need to defrost the food. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. Right. Yeah, you just well, you might didn't not. do it. You might not. I, uh, I have oh, a friend who... Oh, that's true, who... actually. Yeah, because you might think some an ingredient cooks from freezer or something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a friend who grew up with, like, his parents did everything for him, and then they, they left him alone for a week, and he was like, I can't cook anything. I don't know how to do stuff. I wasn't sympathetic to that, but I did find it amusing. <laughs> You're a good friend, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's me. That's me. Well, he was rich, so that's why I didn't feel bad. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's okay um, to make fun of him if he's rich. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they, don't have, they don't have problems. They're fine. Sure. No, their problems aren't real. <laughs> they can cry into their money. All right. I think we've thoroughly answered that question. <laughs> nice. Yeah. We did it. Which means we get to break into the lightning round a little bit early. Uh, <laughs> okay, that was my lightning sound effect. I like it. Let's clip that. Uh, Esper to use in future episodes. Liz Ryerson, uh, well known as a sound designer in real life. Yes. So, uh... the, uh... <laughs> Absolutely. This week, we're returning to name design. I'm going to give you a series of titles, and you have to come up with a game based on the name alone. This mm. week, we're covering the greatest plays of Tennessee Williams. Your first game is Night of the Iguana. Ooh. Okay. Um, it's, it's a it's, Gex sequel. It's, I was gonna say it's Gex. How do we get away from it being Gex? Is he an iguana? No, it's a sequel. Okay. Okay. It's, it's uh, like his. Okay. He fights an iguana. That's his rival. Well, it's a spinoff. It's a spinoff. It's yeah. A spinoff okay. with, starring his girlfriend or whoever. Okay, it's Gex for Night of the Iguana. Yeah. I guess yeah. the iguana is like Eddie Pepitone. They hang out a lot. Well, yeah. I, I, so maybe it's a maybe it's a more gritty, like horror themed, uh, like reboot of the of the Gex platformer. Like there's a there's a dark component to it somehow. Five Nights at Gex's. <laughs> <laughs> well, somehow we need to fill the gap between Gex three and one hundred Gex. That's right. Um, so ninety nine Gex. Right. Uh, the Rose Tattoo. The Rose Tattoo. I feel like this is. Um, a spy game? Yeah, I was thinking, you know, classic Japanese 
uh, Portopia murder case or whatever kind of game, you know, like, sure. you know, just a, a sort of gritty noir Japanese adventure game. I would yeah. throw in uh, dating and romance options. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's a modern game, so of course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But that Gotta might be, be a, a heavy component of the of the game, too. Yeah. Sweet bird of you. <laughs> this is a um, a <laughs> Guns N' Roses <laughs> Wow. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's it's Um, like Revolution X, except it's Guns N' Roses. It's Guns N' Roses, but we couldn't afford the the license (laughs) license to the lyrics, so that's why it's Sweet Bird of You. Yes. Pistols and Posies. The name actually makes me think of the, what was that game? A Short Hike. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. That is the Sweet Bird of You. Yeah. I was thinking uh, Bird Week, the Famicom game. Where, oh, sure. Uh, you're a mother bird and you have to feed the baby birds and avoid dogs. A streetcar named Desire. This is crazy taxi, but you're a streetcar. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. But you can talk and everyone's like, oh, hey, Desire has a gun. Yeah. You're going pretty good. And you can, you can do multi track. <laughs> I, I imagine like Thanks, a Hideo Kojima uh, type game involving some kind of body horror. Yeah, involving. Uh, cars, human cars, or oh, yeah. you know, and it's like has a cyberpunk component to it as well. I just want to be able to do multi-track table car drifting. That's what I want. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, the Glass Menagerie. This seems like one of those. Uh, you know, when you're watching the IGF and then the student games come up, yeah, and there's like these really ambitious students doing something about like a it's in a museum and you can resize everything and it's all yeah. about feelings and you're like, why haven't I heard of this? Uh, yeah. It feels like one of those. Yeah. It's like the that game that came out recently that with the scale thing. I can't. Oh, remember. Oh, did that come out? Yeah, it's for the Switch. Uh, not the not the. There was a game called Scale. Not the one called Scale. There's another one. Yeah, there's another one. It used to be called Museum of Something Dubious. All right. I don't remember what it's. Oh, yeah. Bubsy 3D. Bubsy 3D. Dot com. Uh, Not to be confused. Yeah. Oh, no. I I was thinking of there is a game called The Glass Something, which is like just a puzzle uh, hidden object game. I forget what it's called. Oh, Glass Menagerie does sound like a hidden object game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's true. Uh, and finally, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Oh, that's uh, uh, Night in the Woods. <laughs> I yeah, guess it Night is. In the Woods. It yeah. also feels like, like a Game & Watch game where there's like certain parts of the roof get hot and you have to move <laughs> the cat to the other part. Um, oh, yeah. Just... It's one of those dual screen ones, right? Where the, the, yeah. the hot tin roof is on the top screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, maybe there's a, a section in between those where you have a uh, very uh, witty dialogue and, you know, people cat characters uh gossiping with each other or something oh night in the woods i see yeah 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 Yeah. uh well that's our group of games for this week and the end of my question list all right uh this is the part of the show where we recommend things to our listeners uh until next episode where they can listen to us again nice does anyone have any plugs for their own personal projects or recommendations for things they can do to fill these I, uh, long cold hours, I have a plug. It's not necessarily for my personal project, but I did get interviewed for um, a series called Preserving Worlds on uh, Means TV. You can watch it for free, actually, on Means TV. It's also on YouTube. Um, and uh, it's uh, these two filmmakers kind of went inside a bunch of a, a lot of like old online worlds, uh, like. Uh, world's chat and uh, second life and well second life is current but uh neo habitat neo habitat 
Yeah. Yeah. And some others, but I talked about Doom for it, which Doom was kind of a slightly an outlier, but I just talked about some of my favorite Doom mods and, you know, Doom modding as an artistic uh, practice and that kind of thing. So if you're interested in that, the production values are very good, by the way. They did a really good job with the entire series. So if you're interested in that, uh, please check it out. That's cool. What's it called again? And what episode uh, are you? Preserving Worlds. Uh, it's on Means TV, and you can also find it on YouTube. Uh, I'm on the Doom episode. Makes sense. Cool. Um, this isn't really a recommendation necessarily, but uh, figure this is a good audience to poke about this. Um, if you've got just piles of uh, old video game magazines in your parents' attic or something that you don't want, uh, get in touch with me through the show because uh, we could really use those around here because we've got this uh, blind box video game uh, magazine program that we do as a fundraiser for the Video Game History Foundation. And uh, our current current subscriber rate is north of 450 subscribers. <laughs> I'm shipping wow. out 450 magazines every month. Uh, I thought I'd have a good year supply. I have more like a five month supply at this point. Oh no. So, um, <laughs> That's so good news and bad news. Please help me stop drop shipping on eBay. Cause that seems like a weird thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Donate instead. I bought one of those magazines and What'd it was wonderful. Uh, it was an EGM from 1997 has a Panzer Panzer Dragoon saga ad on the back. Oh, that's I, great. 98. Maybe. Is it the mask that you cut out? Yes. It's so, the mask. Yeah. Yeah. Very same. Brandon, you got anything? Yeah, I got some stuff. I got two things. One is, um, if you live in the specific, the specific Northwest, the Pacific Northwest <laughs> specifically, um, you should seek out a sauerkraut called Getting Cultured. It's a, it's, it's a really good sauerkraut. I don't think you can get it outside of maybe Northwestern Washington. I'm not really sure. But it's, it's my favorite sauerkraut that I've ever had in America. And I, I get my um parents in washington to send it out to me mm. i had it for the first time when i was visiting them and i was like this is really good and um, <laughs> since then the company has been purchased twice but the the quality is still almost as high as before so the there's like a midnight mustard one that's particularly good highly recommend so if you can find that and you like sauerkraut go get it and that then sounds delicious uh, it's so good it's 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 one of those ones where like you can really tell that it was naturally fermented. There's no vinegar in it because it's got this funkiness at the end of it. It's uh, yeah, it's awesome. Um, I gotta try that. Yeah, please do. So the other thing I would recommend is today Gunhouse was released on our puzzle game meets tower defense thingy was released on Google Play Pass. And so if you have Google Play Pass or if you would like to try the, uh, I think it's a month free trial of it. Please install Gunhouse and then play it a bunch because if you do that, then we get paid. Um, and that's great. But also, it'll get Google to realize that the game is worth promoting. And then if it gets promoted, then it gets even better for us. It's one of those weird kind of things. I mean, Google Play Pass is a subscription deal, but I've heard, I've heard of developers like tr- tripling or 10 timesing their monthly revenue because of being in this thing if it gets featured. So that would help me out quite a bit and maybe you'll like gunhouse um it's imperfect but i like a lot of the ideas so give it a try we're all about liking imperfect games here at Instant credit uh we're real yeah. seven out of ten show yeah the way we like it uh i recommend 
that if you're listening to iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or any platform where you can subscribe to or review podcasts, that you do that for hours. You can also go to patreon.com slash insert credit where you can become a patron to submit your own questions, get access to episodes one day early, and even access to regular, bo- regular bonus episodes and other <laughs> exclusive content one day early. One day early. One day early. Uh, Thanks to all of your support. We recently crossed the threshold of 360 subscribers, and we are now currently discussing how to proceed with our promised Xbox 360 special. In the meantime, you can join the community at forums.insertcredit.com and follow us on Twitter for our own personal updates and projects. The show is at insertcredit. I'm at Alex Jaffe. Frank is at Frank Zafaldi. Brandon is at Necrosofty. And Lids is at Elaguro. My name is not actually Lids, by the way. It is not Lids. <laughs> it's Lids. It's Lids. <laughs> this show is produced by Esper Quinn with music by Kurt Feldman. Once more, I'm Alex Jaffe. I'm Frank Zafaldi. I'm Brandon Sheffield. And I'm Liz Ryerson. <laughs> and your game has now been saved. That was a lovely voice you decided to use at the end there, Liz. Yeah, that was yeah. Nice. well, you know, I feel very, I feel like, soothed, calm. Yeah, yeah. soothed. <laughs> yeah, for just the price of a cup of coffee a week. You too. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you too can subscribe to Curiosity Stream. <laughs> <laughs> this week's <laughs> podcast is brought to you by Fandango.